And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day where there is a new poll that should be very encouraging to uh, Republicans. And why? Because the headline uh, in this Wall Street Journal poll, and aside from the Wall Street Journal's uh, conservative bent, this is one of the leading polls that everyone pays attention to. I mean, if people want to actually take any of this stuff seriously about what public opinion is, this is uh, one of the most prestigious of all polls. And the headline in the journal today is voters worry about Biden's age, duh, and economy. And voters overwhelmingly think President Biden is too old to run for re-election and give him low marks for handling the economy and other issues important to their vote, according to a new Wall Street Journal poll that offers a stark warning to the 80-year-old incumbent ahead of the 2024 contest. Uh, the negative views of Biden's age and performance in office help explain why only 39% of voters hold a favorable view of the president. In a separate question, some 42% said they approve of how he is handling his job, well below the 57% who disapprove. In other words, they separate here, as they do sometimes in polls, and it's interesting. Uh, people's perception uh, of whether they have a favorable or unfavorable view of the president, and there he only finds 39% who hold a favorable view of him as a person, but 42% a little bit more <laughs> say they approve of how he is handling his job with 57% who disapprove. Uh, this is disastrous for Democrats. Uh, voters in the survey uh, rated Trump as less honest and uh, less likable than Biden. And a majority viewed Trump's actions after his 2020 election lost as an illegal effort to stop Congress from declaring Biden the proper winner. Voters are looking for change, and neither of the leading candidates is the change that they're looking for, said Democratic pollster Michael uh, Bochian, who conducted the survey with Republican pollster Tony Fabrizio, who's the same Republican pollster who has uh, helped uh, Biden, uh, pardon me, Trump's super PAC and is very much revered in uh, Republican circles. If this race is about personality and temperament, then Biden has an advantage. If this race is about policies and performance, then Trump has the advantage, said Fabrizio, who also polls for a super PAC supporting Trump's candidacy. And uh, what's, what's fascinating about this is that if you look at that, uh, 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 what percentage of Americans say that each phrase describes the candidate well? Is too old to run for president? Over 70 percent. 
think that applies to Biden. It's under 50 percent who think it applies to Trump. Now, there's only three years age difference between them. Is mentally up for the job? Um, about half of Americans think Trump is mentally up for the job. A little bit more than a third of Americans think Biden is up for the job. In other words, they don't. Uh, cares about people like you. This is fascinating because that one is dead tie. And neither uh, uh, Trump nor Biden, they have about uh, 38% who say they that either candidate cares about people like you. Is honest. Uh, people think Biden is more honest than Trump. Has a vision for the future. They give Trump the advantage. Has a strong record of accomplishments as president. They give Trump the advantage. Is a likable person. Uh, Biden wins that one. He gets 50% who think he's likable. Uh, that's a decisive win. What's really striking about this survey is the what it says about the issues. Because uh, among registered voters um, and uh, people responding in general, on on every issue, uh, people are more likely to disapprove of Joe Biden than to approve. He is heavily disapproved on inflation, on dealing with China. The only one where he's actually tied with Trump and at about 40%, and that's is creating jobs. But when it comes to the war in Ukraine, people disapprove of Biden. They disapprove of him most dramatically under securing the border. And, and again, it, it honestly looks like a campaign that is deeply, deeply in trouble. I mean, the Biden campaign. Among registered voters, 37% said the indictments of Trump made them less likely to vote for Trump compared with 24% who said it made them more likely to vote for former President Trump. Okay, can you believe that? A, a quarter of all voters, one out of four, the indictments of President Trump make it more likely for people to vote for him. The journal addresses this in an editorial in just a moment. Some 35% said the indictments made no difference at all. 24% um, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, among registered voters, this is not Republicans, but among registered voters, 37% said the indictments made them less likely to vote for Trump compared with 24% who said it made them more likely. Why would the indictments make you more likely to vote for Trump? It's an interesting question. In any event, this is considered to be good news for Trump and good news for Republicans. And the Wall Street Journal has an editorial that tampers that a little bit. And they say in the editorial, it's under the heading, the GOP's big 2024 problem. The latest Wall Street Journal poll is getting headlines for its news that support for Donald Trump nationwide is now up to 59% in the GOP primary race. But for our money, the most important harbinger uh, for 2024 is contained in the responses to another survey question. The better insight comes when respondents were asked, do Donald Trump's indictments make you more or less likely to vote for him 
or have no impact on whether or not you would vote for Donald Trump. Among Republican primary voters, here are the responses. More likely to vote for Trump among the primary voters, 48%. Less likely, only 16%. No effect on their vote, 36%. And this is exactly the result that Democrats want. Keep the focus on Mr. Trump so he wins the nomination and then convict him in trials before the general election in November. That strategy is reinforced uh, by the responses when the WSJ survey asked registered voters the same question about the indictments. Their responses, 24% more likely to vote for Trump, 37% were less likely, and 35% said it would have no effect. The Republican peril is that more than one and a half times as many voters say the indictments make them less likely to vote for Trump than more likely. This reflects the tilt of independent voters as well as the 16% of GOP voters who say the indictments make them less likely to vote for Trump. In any event, what all of this means, putting it together, is uh, as people have been pointing out, uh, Trump looks like he can't lose the primary, but might have a very tough time winning the general election. We'll get to that and more, and uh, the problems between America and China, and for America uniquely, coming up on the Medved Show. Your daily dose of debate. It's the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, there's a lot of talk about uh, double standards. And there are all kinds of double standards that bother people. I mean, one of the things that you hear about is the double standards on possible illegality and corruption uh, by the uh, Biden family as opposed to the Trump family. And, uh, And then again, people wondering when is the next shoe going to drop on the desire for a a formal impeachment investigation by the House of Representatives and then an impeachment vote against Joe Biden. Uh, One of the other bits of double standards, and we just got an email about it, which is uh, uh, talking about the horrible events and, and the 140 cops who were sent to the hospital and and really what it meant to the country to go through January 6th. And there have been over a thousand people who have been arrested and are being prosecuted. Um, the majority of those people now have, have been sentenced. And there are a lot of people in jail. And the emailer came in and wrote in and said, yeah, that's appropriate, but what about all those thousands of people that we never hear about? Uh, did, why didn't people get prosecuted for the George Floyd riots in May of uh, 2020? This was uh, just uh, a year before, uh, not not even a full year before. Uh, this was uh, several months before the the riots in the Capitol, 
and against the Capitol building. But what happened to uh, all of those folks who participated in that violence? Well, the truth is that when you look this up, and uh, Jeremy Steiner, pride of Hillsdale College, uh, just did, uh, right away uh, after the riots had begun, they reported that 10,000 Americans had been arrested for uh, property destruction, uh, violence, attacking police officers, other acts of wrongdoing in the George Floyd riots. George Floyd riots. 10,000 people. That's 10 times as many people as were arrested and prosecuted so far in the Capitol riots of January 6th. And in fact, that was just the report at the time in May of 2020. If you go ahead and you look at Wikipedia, they have a total of how many people? Of 14,000 people who were arrested and processed by our criminal justice system because of their role in the George Floyd riots, which was uh, extraordinary. And the, the terrible thing about those George Floyd riots is they went on in cities like Portland for night after night after night. And by the way, it was mostly at nighttime. Uh, in January 6th was a few hours in daylight. And the, the, the other big difference was, yes, was there a political uh, goal, really, in the Capitol Hill riots? Yes, there was. And it was very specific about it. And uh, the President of the United States had just asked the people to march up to the Capitol building. And what was the political goal in the George Floyd riots? Well, it was to make sure that uh, the police officers involved for the killing of George Floyd would, would get full uh, exposure, and they did. They were not only indicted, they were convicted. And uh, the, the chief uh, uh, criminal who participated in the killing of George Floyd, uh, and, and it was not an act of responsible law enforcement by any standard. It was obviously a crime. He is uh, sentenced to a very long sentence. And uh, it says that uh, by June 22nd, 2020, police had made 14,000 arrests in 49 cities across the country since the protest began, with most arrests uh, being locals charged with offenses such as violating curfews or blocking roadways. The civil unrest and protest began as part of an international reaction to the murder of George Floyd, 46-year-old African-American man who was murdered during an arrest after Derek Chauvin a Minneapolis Police Department officer knelt on Floyd's neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds. Uh, the, the point being that as terrible as the property destruction was and the billions of dollars worth of damage and uh, the disruption of people's lives, uh, the, the idea was it, it wasn't meant to stop 
the peaceful transfer of power uh, underneath our constitutional system. And uh, even the Proud Boys who were just sentenced admitted that that's what they were trying to do in the uh, riots uh, against the Capitol building. Uh, uh, the double standards. There's another double standard, which is why is it that you have a president who's 80 years old? You have a former president who's 77 years old. Why is it that, according to this new poll, uh, people by a huge margin believe that, uh, that Joe Biden is too old for the job? 72% of Americans think Joe Biden's too old for the job of president. And less than 50% think that of Trump. This was a question that Brianna Keeler was asking on CNN. Uh, listen, clip two. We're also seeing that age is an issue in this election. You've got the Wall Street Journal poll showing 73% of all Americans say Biden, who is 80, is too old to run for re-election next year. Trump, at 77 years old, is not very far behind him, but only 47% of all Americans say that Trump's too old and too old. Then if you were talking about just Democrats, the journal says 66%, so two-thirds believed Biden was too old to serve another four-year term. Why does this seem to be a bigger problem for Biden than for Trump? You know, I, I'm not sure why, and I, I imagine it's probably a lot of the same reasons that people don't feel that he's uh, um, done well for the economy. Okay, part of it is because people have seen enough videos where uh, President Biden, who has a background as a stutterer going back to his adolescence, going back to his childhood, uh, sometimes is fumbling for words and having a tougher time. Uh, Trump doesn't always pick the most eloquent means to express himself, but uh, certainly there seems to be a much higher level of energy and forcefulness. He does not seem to be only three years younger than Biden, which he is. Uh, coming up, Gordon Chang. North Korea meeting with Russia. What does that mean for America and China? Coming up on the MedMed Show. of evil that was actually something that uh, President Bush uh, President George W. Bush put into a, um, a State of the Union address uh, there is a new axis of evil says Gordon G. Chang uh, it appears to be Russia China and North Korea uh, what is happening with that? There's an upcoming meeting, high-level meeting with North Korea and uh, with uh, the dictator of North Korea uh, and with Vladimir Putin in Moscow. Uh, this is a matter of some serious concern. Gordon G. Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He... Um, 
is one of the leading experts on what is going on in Asia as a threat to the United States of America. And you can uh, read his most recent, uh, uh, what do they call them now, X messages, what used to be called tweets uh, on Twitter, which is now X. And uh, he is at Gordon G. Chang. Uh, Gordon, uh, why is this meeting coming up in Moscow between uh, Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin uh, so menacing and so important? I think the reason it's so important is that it shows that this new axis is, is really starting to congeal. You know, when President Bush uh, mentioned the axis of evil, um, which was Iran, Iraq, North Korea, um, a lot of people said correctly that those three countries, those three regimes, did not actually coordinate their policies. They weren't a group. But clearly, China, Russia, and North Korea are. And when, Vlad and when Vladimir Putin goes probably to Vladivostok, though we don't know, um, to meet Kim Jong-un um, on Russian territory, um, this will show that those three regimes are working very closely together. And to highlight that point, uh, just a few hours ago, Russia talked about inviting North Korea um, to participate in joint Russia-China naval drills. So we are seeing uh, this grouping try to move towards um, not only being um, together, but also developing interoperability, which means that a war in Asia probably going to involve not just China, but also China's friends, Russia and North Korea. This has not been uh, a good period of time for China, however, not in terms of domestic life, not in terms of their economy, not in terms of their world position. What has been going wrong in China so that uh, the Washington Post, for instance, is reporting that on a host of fronts, China's domineering leader seems to be fighting fires? Yeah, uh, this will sound flip, but it's actually true. Uh, and that is the answer to your question is what's going wrong? Well, just about everything. Um, it starts with the economy, um, which has been the motor of China's rise over the course of decades. The Chinese economy right now, uh, if it's growing at all, is growing at very, very uh, uh, slow pace, could even be contracting. And it's heading towards contraction. And that's because not just of cyclical problems, but structural problems. Too much debt, uh, Xi Jinping um, trying to reassert state control over the economy. These are things that in the past have created so many problems for communist China. But it's not just that. Um, you have the Chinese people now um, are opting out of their society. Um, they are either, as they say, lying flat, in other words, just not participating in Chinese life, or they are tr risking their lives and walking across um, Central America into uh, the southern United States. We have an unprecedented surge of Chinese. But we also see other problems and longer-term ones, such as failing local governments, worsening food shortages, deteriorating environment, um, and imploding demography. So nothing's going right. And that is forcing Xi Jinping, I think, to um, think about lashing out in order to rally the Chinese people. Well, that, that brings me to my next question, which is normally you hear things are going horribly in China, that their economy is stalled that people are no longer talking about it as this uh, untrained, fire-breathing dragon 
of an economy. And uh, d does this make China more dangerous or less dangerous, some of the difficulties they've been having? Uh, more likely, for instance, to attack Taiwan or less likely? I think more likely. And the reason is that Xi Jinping is a super communist, as uh, Brian Sullivan of CNBC called him. Um, and he has a choice. He can either, either let uh, current trends wash away the Communist Party and end his rule, or he can lash out um, against some target. It could be Japan, could be Taiwan, could be who knows what. Um, and I think that he is not one to sort of be passive. So I worry about the lashing out scenario. In any event, we need to be prepared for it because it's a real possibility. Um, and because Xi Jinping now has incentives, personal incentives, as well as national ones, to be reckless. Meanwhile, Russia has its own problems in Ukraine. Uh, obviously, the invasion of Ukraine has not been, by any standard, the cakewalk that Putin expected. Is North Korea really in a position where they can provide substantial aid to Russia in terms of weapons, which is what they're talking about? Well, they can sell weapons. Now, the stockpile of North Korean um, artillery shells and all the rest of it is probably pretty terrible. But North Korea can ramp up production. And I think Putin's a little bit desperate in terms of trying to buy ammunition and other um, uh, consumable items for his military. So, yeah, North Korea can help. Uh, North Korea can sell. It, it's a militarized state. It's got a lot of productive capability, and it can be employed by Putin. The North Koreans aren't going to give it to the Russians, um, but they can sell it. One of our presidential candidates, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, says that the great advantage of the United States cutting off aid to Ukraine would be it would drive some kind of a measure or help to separate Russia and China. Uh, it would stop the budding alliance and axis that you're talking about. Uh, do you buy that? Does that seem to be a substantive argument? No, it's not a substantive argument. I think it's extremely dangerous because we got to remember how the Chinese view the war in Ukraine. Yes, on the battlefield, it's Ukrainians and Russians uh, fighting each other. But that's not how China sees the war. China sees the war as a proxy battle between the United States and China. And if Russia is prevails in any sense or is able to keep territory, then I think China is going to see a big green light for its own aggressive ambitions. So, you know, we, of course, no one can predict the future. But um, when you start to see um, parallels in history, what uh, Ramaswamy is, is uh, recommending is something that in the past has basically led to wider war. So if we want to fight a war in Asia while the war in Ukraine goes on and the disaster in North Africa occurs, then yeah, sure, let's go vote for him and have him implement his policy. But it's extremely dangerous. And I actually think that if he were elected, he would not be so blind as to actually follow what he's been recommending. But it is really dangerous. Well, and, and again, you can only imagine how it's talked about. I, I would be right in, in saying that probably the opinions of a candidate Ramaswamy are well publicized in Russia and China and North Korea. 
Yes, I'm, I'm sure that they are. Um, the, the Chinese, um, for instance, look very closely at what's going on in American politics. So they know what's going on. And, and they're, they've helped candidates. In um, the last election cycle, they helped Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders in the Democratic Party primary. And of course, they helped uh, Biden over Trump in the general election. Um, I haven't seen evidence of their meddling in the Republican primaries yet. But I'm sure that they are going to be helping candidates whose last name is not Trump um, in this, this contest. And on the Michael Medved Show... Uh, Meet the Press uh, was interesting uh, this uh, this weekend. Why? Because um, they had they had on Meet the Press uh, one Republican, one Democrat. Uh, the uh, Republican was somebody who has taken himself out of the presidential race, uh, even though many people believe that he should have jumped in. He has also not fully ruled out a race for the presidency in the future. It's a three-term governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, part of a political family uh, and a very formidable leader for the future of the Republican Party. The Democrat who was featured on Meet the Press is the same thing. Uh, she was a, a two-term governor of Rhode Island, very successful, politically very popular. Of course, Rhode Island, very heavily Democratic state. But Gina Raimondo has always been a more moderate Democrat. I mean, she is not uh, uh, <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders or in any sense aligned with the left wing of the Democratic Party. And there is a extraordinary consensus, and you can hear it everywhere, that the one uh, member of the Trump cabinet, well, actually, there are two. There are two members of the Biden cabinet, excuse me, uh, and one is the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and the other is uh, Gina Raimondo, Secretary of Commerce. She, um, uh, she was on Meet the Press uh, talking about her visit to China, which was generally considered something of a success. What she's trying to do is to try to protect the U.S. economy, which is unfortunately very subject to terrible reverses in the Chinese economy. Uh, economy, and uh, she was speaking to Chuck Todd about China's relationship to the United States. Uh, listen, clip seven. Are we going to be allowing uh, American companies? Are we going to be exporting superconductor chips to China uh, in a in a way that that China doesn't feel like we're trying to um, choke their military technology and other things like that? Well, we are trying to choke their military capacity. So if they feel that, um, that means our strategy is working. We are not going to, uh, certainly on my watch, we are not going to sell the most sophisticated American chips to China that they want for their military capacity. Are we going to prevent any company but from that doing that? Said, you can't do business with the United States in this industry if you want to sell those chips to China, correct? 
we're going to we're going to stick to that. Absolutely. Yes. But I do want to be clear. We will also still continue to sell, you know, billions of dollars of chips a year to China because the vast majority of chips that are made are are not, you know, the leading edge, cutting edge that I'm talking about. Okay, and then she also spoke about China's self-interest economically and uh, the way that uh, cooperation between the U.S. and China in uh, economic relationships can be beneficial to both countries. This is clip eight. Is that our real goal here? Do we think that maybe they'll essentially cry uncle and they'll realize we got to stop this antagonistic relationship with the U.S. because we need to improve our domestic economy? Is that what is that our ultimate negotiating uh, leverage? Uh, well, look, I'll say this It's clearly true. The facts speak for themselves on this one, that when China was more market oriented and reform minded, their economy, you know, they lifted hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. I was in Shanghai. It's it's quite stunning to see the, the progress Shanghai's made in the past 20 years. And that so it's clearly true that when they were more market focused and reform oriented, Chinese economy was stronger. And so that's my point. Um, it's not so much leverage. It's that it does seem to be true that it's in their self-interest to um, be less antagonistic to U.S. business. Uh, isn't it remarkable that uh, even people on the Democratic Party side of things, like Gina Raimondo, the Secretary of Commerce, can uh, recognize that capital capitalism works better than communism? It it really does. It produces better results. And so, what about the results of uh, a potential Biden second term? Uh, she also was asked a what is a very sensitive subject for somebody who is serving at the pleasure of the president, uh, asked about Biden's ability to handle a second term. And uh, here is the uh, answer from Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo, clip nine. Your interactions with President Biden, are you confident he's uh, got the ability to serve a full second term? One hundred percent. I talked to him right before I left for China. Um, uh, he gave me the best advice of about 200 people that I spoke with. I talked to business leaders, other folks in the administration. He was sharp. He was clear. He's got a ton of energy, uh, and I'm so excited to be on his team. Uh, seems like a fairly enthusiastic uh, endorsement. Uh, but uh, it wasn't all sunshine and roses for Gina Raimondo in China because it was revealed that China had hacked her emails before she went uh, over there to meet with them to try to reduce the economic tensions between the two countries. She was asked about it, of course, clip 10. But, you know, insult to injury was they hacked your email right before you went. I mean, it was almost like it's a thumbing. It almost feels like they were thumbing their nose at us. Okay, yeah, you can come visit, but we're going to do our best to find out everything you already know anyway. I mean, and I know you you, you confronted them with this. I saw that report, but it does send a message it, it, of we're not that interested in engaging. 
You know, look, this, uh, it, they did hack me, which was unappreciated, to say the least. I brought it up clearly, put it right on the table. I, by the way, I brought up all uh, many of our grievances on behalf of uh, our national security concerns, uh, concerns of U.S. labor, concerns of U.S. business. Didn't pull any punches. Um, still, though, it's a complicated relationship. There's no doubt about it. They, we are in a fierce competition with China right. at every level, and anyone who tells you differently is naive. The, all of that being said, we have to manage this competition. Conflict is in no one's interest. We need to manage the competition responsibly. That's good for America. That's good for the world. Okay. Uh, what is not necessarily good for the world is another news report from China. And... When you talk about differences between the United States and China, this just seems like it's from not another country, but another era. Uh, listen to the latest news about the Great Wall. Uh, this is clip 13. Two people are facing charges after being accused of breaking a giant hole through the Great Wall of China with an excavator and likely causing irreversible damage. Police say they wanted to create a shortcut for their construction work nearby. Investigators believe heavy machinery was used to open a gap in the UNESCO World Heritage Site, damaging the integrity and safety of that portion of the wall. A 38-year-old man and a 55-year-old woman were arrested and charged with destroying cultural relics. Uh, they don't say whether those men or women were Chinese or what else could have motivated them aside from trying to put forward a construction project. Speaking of projects, uh, there is a project that is extraordinarily important in, in terms of the United States, which is uh, figuring out a way to avoid another government shutdown. This is especially true when you have uh, some of the hardships like the hardships of people in Hawaii, the hardships of people in the Big Bend in Florida from some of the weather-based mishaps and uh, other hardships that people are going through. The idea of closing down the government at a point like this, uh, the idea uh, of the damage to the U.S. economy could be extraordinary. And it could be by the end of this month, the month of September. By October 1st, the Congress is supposed to get its act together. What's one of the uh, arguments that is preventing that from happening? The prioritization of a lot of people in the Freedom Caucus and elsewhere in the Republican Party to... Uh, say that they will only even allow stopgap funding of the government if uh, they move forward in the House with the impeachment investigation on President Biden. Is the Biden administration fighting back? Yeah. Is this a pretty prospect? No, it's awful. We'll talk about it coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth.